the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. I will be joined in a moment by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will dissect the debacle, which was the second half of the Colorado-UCLA game. The Buffs had a 20-7 lead late in the second quarter and had the opportunity to even have a greater lead before everything fell apart. The Buffs allowed a long drive for a field goal in the final minute of the first half, setting the stage for a 34-0 run by UCLA in the second half, with the final being 44-20. What went right in the first half? Then what went so terribly wrong in the second half? We'll talk it through. We'll then turn our attention to CU's final home opponent, the Washington Huskies. Washington fired its head coach, Jimmy Lake, which introduces a new dynamic to the game. Lake was suspended for the Arizona State game, and the Huskies, like the Buffs, played well before they didn't. The Huskies raced out to a 14-0 lead in the first quarter and were up 24-14 with six minutes left in the game, before the Sun Devils scored three touchdowns in five minutes on their way to a 35-30 win. Washington will bring a suspect offense to Boulder, along with the number one ranked pass defense. And the Buffs? who are seven-point underdogs, find a way to send off their seniors with a win? Let's find out. Okay, well, we're back. And talking with me this evening is Brad, it's my birthday week, Geiger. How are things in Highlands Ranch during the, uh, the celebration of all that is Brad? Oh, it's a lovely day here in Highlands Ranch. We're in the mid-70s which is amazing for my birthday week. Although, of course, the weather comes in later. Otherwise, things are okay after a tough football weekend. Okay. And Neil, downtown Neil Langland is with us from uh, Larimer Square. How's Neil doing this evening? Doing fine. Well, Brad, happy birthday this week. Congratulations. Making it to 50. That's a big deal, you know? (laughs) 50 is a distant memory in the rearview mirror, Neil, but I do appreciate the consideration. Yes, I, I would I would make note of which anniversary it is of your 39th birthday, but I won't do that. So I appreciate that. Yes. Well, lightheartedness aside, we do have to do a post-mortem on the 44-20 loss to UCLA. Well, Neil, we'll start with you. Let's try and do some glass half full stuff. In the first half, it was 20 to 7, Colorado ahead until the final minute of the first half, the second quarter. 
And Bucks could have had a couple touchdowns. They settled for field goals. It could have been 28 to 7. So were you impressed with the University of Colorado football team in the first half of their game against UCLA in the Rose Bowl Saturday night? You know, I was actually uh, and surprised how well they were doing. But I kept looking over my shoulder uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned that dropped pass or that inaccurate pass on fourth and whatever it was that could have led to another field goal, possibly a score. And then the two other drives that ended in field goals, I thought were big missed opportunities. And CU does not have a margin of error. Uh, They need to capitalize on every opportunity that comes their way. The other thing that was sort of haunting me was the check engine light that came on a couple times in that first half, which was the long run by UCLA that was called back because of what looked like kind of a picky tack hold. And then there was the receiver that just happened to put one foot slightly out of bounds, but otherwise scored a touchdown. Those were indicators to me that CU had better score and score often if it wanted to stay in the game. And I was hoping that the second half adjustments would come in and allow them to continue. And they just didn't. But there were many good things in the first half. The other thing that I found a little disconcerting was our seeming overconfidence in the offensive line. And I was afraid of this, that once the O-line started to play better, that we were going to go back to our conservative style of offense instead of finding creative ways to move the ball. Um, And I was disappointed in that. There was more than I could say, but I think that's the highlight. Yeah. Well, Brad, 20 points in the first half for a team that was averaging about 20 points per game. Not too bad. Uh, Neil mentioned the fourth and five pass to Dimitri. No, I think maybe it was Levante Chenault which was a little bit behind him. He was wide open, but. And all it's got to make that catch. You know, it could have been what it's been, but as you also pointed out, there were two long runs, well, two long plays. One went to the one-yard line, one went for a touchdown. They were both called back for penalties on the UCLA part, but still to have the Colorado offense moving to the point where you're missing opportunities and still scoring 20 points and a half. That's that's much better than the University of Colorado that we've seen most of the season. True. If they had played anything close to that in the second half, there would be even more reason for optimism. UCLA, it's not that UCLA was a better team. It's not even that UCLA covered a big spread. It's that we seemed to be suddenly unable to do anything in the second half, including offensively. And when you suddenly can't execute, when you the things that you could do in the first half were ignored or you couldn't execute in the second half, but, I mean, it's not like UCLA came out with 12, 11 new guys on offense or on defense in the second half. There seemed to be, and I can't tell you what, a bizarre lack of focus, a lack of energy, and a team that I thought had shown great resilience against Oklahoma or Oregon State, just kind of once the ball got rolling, they couldn't stop it. Um, and those are concerning in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, I'm happy with 20 points. I think it shows some continuing growth, but this was a step back. Yeah. 
Well, Neil, you know, a couple of quotes from the players kind of stood out. Christian Gonzalez, right after the game, basically said, we both made adjustments. They did theirs better, <laughs> which was a gross understatement. And then uh, Brady Russell, which actually was part of the offense for a good part of the game and actually had some catches and some yards. He likened it to the Oregon State game of 2018, which Colorado at that point had a 31 to three lead early in the third quarter and ended up losing 41 to 34 in overtime. What do you take from the the player quotes? Are we trying to read between the the lines here? Is there some problem with the coaching? Is it the players? What would lead a team that was, if not on all cylinders, at least was functional, was competitive but completely fell apart in the, in the second half in, in the Rose Bowl. I, I actually have given this some thought, and because it's me, I don't have any answers. <laughs> but I can speculate that part of it was UCLA realized that they didn't need to be fancy, and all they needed to do was run the ball, be physical. That first drive of the second half, they did nothing special. They just ran right over and right at the buffs and ate up huge chunks of yardage. And that was their key adjustment coming into the third quarter. And then their other offense in the rest of the the half, they seemed to just wide open approach, uh, seeing that CU had some young players in there that weren't even on the three deep depth chart. Uh, and they went right at them. They had receiver, UCLA had receivers running free, invisible almost like they were wearing Frodo's ring. Uh, <laughs> and just simply were not uh, were uncoverable. And uh, it seemed to me that there was a psychological letdown somewhere in the third quarter. Maybe it was the field goal. I don't know. But CU just seemed to be unable to do anything. And I'm not sure that UCLA made any defensive adjustments that would really clamp down on the CU running game. What they did do is they rushed six and seven repeatedly on passing downs and completely took the ball out of Lewis's hands. Um, I think that was the only real change they made on defense. I think it was a psychological thing that CU thought that they couldn't win or for some reason just were, they lost their confidence. Okay. Well, Brad, let me give you a quote from Carl Drell's press conference on Monday. When we're playing football pretty well and everybody's executing at a high level, we feel we can play with anybody in this conference. It's just unfortunate that we haven't had the consistency to do that for a 60-minute ball game. So... Was it the injuries to the linebacker core without Landman and Gustav got hurt? Was it, as Neil suggested, just a depression thing in it? You know, there was a long run by Fontenot in the third quarter. That turned out to be a missed field goal. There was a long pass completion to Brady Russell. Then Brendan Lewis took an 18-yard sack in that drive, and that was pretty much the end of the Colorado offensive output for the second half. Do we wonder why this is just another young team excuse or were there just adjustments made by the coaching staff or as Neil suggested that they just said, no, we're a better team. We're just going to 
pound the ball and we're going to complete those passes. Some of those passes, it, you know, the, the wide receiver or the tight end for UCLA were the only people on the screen when the ball yeah. got to them. What happened? We're not just a young team. We're a shallow team. You know, the guys backing up aren't – there's a drop-off that UCLA or Oregon doesn't have. And we've discussed this before. I mean, this happened last year with the defense. I don't know what the UCLA offense did that so deeply confused our secondary. And I haven't seen a good explanation for it from anybody else. You know, we had these breakdowns in Oregon State. The difference was UCLA hit the open receivers. Oregon State at least twice had free receivers running for touchdowns and missed them. UCLA didn't. So there remains communication problems in the secondary. There remains depth issues on the defensive front who are unable to consistently get pressure on the opposing quarterback. On the offensive side, I agree with Neil. Once they decided as long as you come at Lewis, problems are going to occur. That 18-yard sack was a combination of complete dysfunction on the line and Lewis's inability to notice it was coming until far too late. He still is not reading. Early in the year, he was reading pressure where there was none. This In this game, it seemed like he failed to read pressure when it seemed obvious. So that is unquestionably an experience issue. I think he'll be better at that next year. But this is the kind of team where if the ball starts rolling downhill against a good team, CU has a lot of trouble stopping it. Something that occurred to me was that Lewis may not recognize that. Does he have the authority to make audibles if he recognizes that sort of an all-out blitz? I couldn't decide because it seemed pretty obvious that's what UCLA was going to do. And why not just check out into a play that has a hot receiver? I couldn't understand why they didn't do that. No, I I think that's a, a true statement and a good question. Now, whether it's they don't trust Lewis or he doesn't trust himself remains to be seen, but he is now 20 months into his collegiate career at the University of Colorado. He was an early enrollee a year ago, January, and granted there was a COVID season. He only played in the bowl game, and that was, you know, as a substitute. He's been in the system for two years, so at what point, if he isn't, allowed to make calls or is entrusted to make calls if he's not allowed to do it almost two full years into the system then you have to wonder if he's ever going to or if he is capable of doing it. now Brad we were talking a week ago about Brandon Lewis being the four-year starter because of how well he played against Oregon State and now everyone on the message boards is back to surfing the transfer portal to find the next great quarterback so is Brendan Lewis capable or is he just a freshman and we just have to accept the fact that some freshmen need more time to develop? I'm going to say something lawyers never say. I don't know. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, mark this date. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is frustratingly inconsistent, as is the entire offense, as is, I believe, the coaching staff. So, yeah, he's been in the system for two years. Those are two weird years. There is what we can say probably certainty is that there is no reason not to at least look for a transfer quarterback. 
Well, I think I think we're certainly getting a transfer quarterback if for depth, if no other reason. They're right. just even with Shrout coming back healthy, assuming that we had a freshman coming in in the 2021 class, I guess it's class of 2022. I think it's a given that there's going to be another quarterback, but whether or not it's somebody that's going to come in and compete right away to start remains to be seen. And of course, the argument has to be made that if you're one of those quarterbacks, do you want to come in? If you're only a sophomore or something like that, you have several years of eligibility at this point. Who's going to be the offensive coordinator? Who's going to be the head coach in 2023? And that could you know, have a chilling effect on the ability of Colorado to get a quarterback other than the fact that CU hasn't had a quarterback drafted into the NFL since 1997. But I don't want to dwell too much on that. Uh, I guess, Neil, what do you foresee as we kind of start to make the shift into next week's game, how the psyche of the team is now that bowl eligibility is no longer – an option. Carl Durrell's quote today was their attitude is still pretty good about competing and getting better. They want to finish the season on a positive note, and we're going to work like hell to do that. And that there'd be motivations for the seniors to play a great final game. The buffs are three and seven, not bowl eligible. Brady Russell talked about playing spoiler. Do you think this team remains motivated? Do you think this team is packing it in and giving up just like many of the Buff fans are? I sure hope not. And to your question, Stuart, what the coaches can do is they can make it fun. They can do offensive and defensive game plans that are just wild and take a lot of chances and give players a chance to shine. That means throw the ball, come up with some trick plays, go against their tendencies. And just let the players show what they can do. And if they do that, I think the players will be motivated. I've been on teams that had many games to play, but nothing really to play for. It's hard to do. And I I think it's going to be hard to motivate these guys. But I'm going to put my trust in these players and say that they want to still play hard. They still want to bond as a team. And you'll get an honest effort out of them. They just, the coaches have to do something in addition to making it fun. They have to reestablish the kids' confidence in themselves. Okay. Well, Brad, the uh, University of Colorado football team on the road has been less than adequate. I think it's safe to say Arizona State. Is 35-13 with only 250 yards of total offense. Cal was 26-3 with a grand total of 104 yards of total offense. The Buffs did score 29 points against Oregon, but that was a 21-0 game in the first two minutes of the second quarter. So, yes, the Buffs did score 21 points in the 52-29 game, but arguably the game was already over Well, you know, before the second quarter really even got started. And then, of course, the debacle in Pasadena, the punishment in Pasadena, I guess, to come up with some sort of clever phrasing for that. But at home, anyway, the Buffs have played better. So mm-hmm. senior day, the hints are that Nate Landman is going to play. I think Nate Landman was, would play whether Calderell wanted to or not. You know, 
I think Nate Landman might come out in street clothes for warm-ups or something and then sneak into the locker room and put on a uniform and get out there and play anyway in his last game as a senior. The Buffs at home, a better team. So is that enough to overcome the lack of goals in terms of playing for a bowl opportunity? Well, that and the fact we're not playing as good a team. I mean, that helps. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, this, this Washington team is confused to the point of despondent. You want to talk about not having a lot to play for. So one would think that in terms of thinking, in terms of intangibles, that CU has all of them there. I don't know that this team was playing for a bowl game anyway. They, they worked talking. They talked some about it, but it wasn't a big deal. I think they will find their inspiration being at home on senior day. All the things you've mentioned, the fact that, again, they're not playing. This is not a top five team coming to town. It's not a fifth top 50 team coming to town. This is a team that is not good. They're not bad. They're just not much. And they seem a little directionless, a little confused about what's going on. I don't know that Washington's got a lot to play for either. Okay. Well, I I think I might argue that point, but I'll let Neil take the first crack at it. So Jimmy Lake, the University of Washington head coach, was officially summarily fired on Sunday. He was suspended for the game against Arizona State, a game which, if you look back at it, it was somewhat similar to what CU had against UCLA. Washington was very much in the game against Arizona State before things kind of went south in a big hurry and gave up 21 points in like a span of like five minutes in the, in the fourth quarter to end up losing that game. UCLA only beat Washington 24-17, so they can't be that bad. So, Neil, we've got a a team that's playing with an interim coach. They played with an interim coach against Arizona State. They're going to have an interim coach for the remainder of the season. They still have the opportunity to be bowl eligible. They haven't missed a bowl, I think, since 2013 which is unlike Colorado, it's missed bowls 13 of the last 16 years. So they close with road game against Colorado and then finish at home against Washington State. And Washington has won the Apple Cup seven straight years. And I believe all seven of those games were by double digits. So they certainly have a high degree of confidence of beating Washington State. So a win against Colorado means a six and six season and bowl eligibility. That sounds like a pretty good motivator. Do you agree with Brad that they are in disarray or do you think that they have a lot to play for? I think Brad is, is mostly correct. I see some sliver of of possibility for what you're arguing, Stuart, but now having it official that their coach has been fired and Washington state is a different team this year. I think they're playing better now that their coaching situation has been resolved. And if I had to pick the winner in Washington state, uh, UW, or UW and Wazoo, I would take Wazoo right now. I think that 
the UW is probably a little shaky now. And if CU has its home support, CU is going to be a tough opponent for them. Well, Brad, last week playing for an interim coach, they raced out to a 14 to nothing lead over Arizona State. And like I was talking about, they had a 24-14 lead with six minutes to play and then got boat raced in the last six minutes. Yep. To your point, you know, you've got some assistant coaches that are probably spending half of their week on the phone looking for their next job, uh, assuming that they're not going to be hired on by whoever's the replacement coach. I can't imagine that Washington's going to hire from within because Jimmy Lake was hired from within when Chris Peterson suddenly retired. So probably destined to go with something outside of, you know, the home family. So that means a lot of those assistant coaches are going to be looking for other jobs. So to your point, not quite as organized, not quite as prepared. Is that what we're hoping for from the, the Washington Huskies as they go on their last road game of the season? Well, I mean, let's not discount why Lake got fired. I mean, one, he got fired for being not a great coach, but two, lost his head and hit his own player. That's a different impact. And I think there is a decent chance that Washington players are now doing what players whose coaches have been fired are doing, kind of playing for themselves. Now, there's, that's a certain level of incentive, but it doesn't tend to carry you through four quarters at altitude. So, yeah, I mean, if Washington gets on a roll, if they believe early on that they can play, yeah, they're still probably a slightly better team than us. But on the road with a tough, uh, with hopefully a defense that plays better, I like CU having some of the intangibles that can keep them in this game. Okay, well, let, let's talk about the, the personnel. It might come as some solace to University of Colorado Buffalo fans that the Washington Husky offense is equally challenged, I guess we could say, that the offense is not done very well. Quarterback is Dylan Morris. He has over 2,000 passing yards compared to Brendan Lewis's 1344. But he also has 10 interceptions to three that Lewis has. Uh, their leading rusher didn't play in the Arizona State game, being Sean McGrew. He was replaced by Cameron Davis, who went for all of 67 yards against Arizona State. And their leading receiver, Terrell Bynum, didn't play um, against the Sun Devils. And I don't know if either one of them are going to be back for CU because injury reports are somewhat archaic in our world. And no one actually tells anybody who's available and who's not anymore. But the Huskies do not have a very good offense. So let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. Washington struggles. I think the over-under on this is only like 42 points, and that's got to be for a reason, right? You know, I think, one, I as we get later in the season, betters get somewhat less invested in certain games, and it becomes a little bit more rote. So I don't know that the line tells us a whole lot about what people think about this game because I don't think people are thinking about this game. Except for our loyal listeners that listen to our podcast yeah. religiously every week. Yeah. Hanging yeah, on every I don't, word. I don't think the folks at Superbook Sports 
are, uh, you know, that this was the first game they took up that they put on and that they're going to take all their bets on, to be very honest with you. I think probably people are looking at this as two, as one mid-level team and one lower level team. And that's pretty much all that they're betting on. I think they're seeing two offenses that struggled and that's where the line goes and waiting a little bit to see which way it goes. I think the, I think that's too low. I think probably, I don't know. It's just, it feels like a difficult game to predict. Okay. But that's what we're in the business. Well, we're actually not in the business sense. This is all free. Uh, in the sense of we're getting paid. If we're getting paid. <laughs> my this. check is late. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The check is in the mail. Okay, well, Neil, if you don't want to talk about the offense, we'll let you talk about the defense. Well, I I can talk about the offense very briefly. Sorry, I just had a little hesitancy there. Their offense, our weak defense, I think that goes a little ways toward explaining the low uh, over-under. The point spread low because... Well, they're just not very good teams, and it's very hard to predict. Uh, CU's offense and Washington's offense, I think they are. Washington probably has the better talent and probably can put up more points. But I'm counting on CU taking a chance, taking a flyer, and getting motivated by their crowd and playing better in the second half like they did in the first half and playing that for the whole game against UW. Okay. Well, Neil wants us to air it out and to have trick plays and have some fun, but getting back to the Washington defense that the Buffs are going to be facing, they have the number one passing defense in the country, 130 teams. Washington has the number one passing defense. So Letting Brendan Lewis throw a lot up, Brendan Rice passes deep and Daniel Arias passes deep and hoping for the best doesn't seem to be the best strategy. Washington has the 118th ranked rushing defense, giving up over 200 yards per game. So looking at the stats, and after 10 games, stats are stats, it would seem that Jarek Broussard seems to be the buff offense should focus on that it should be try and run the ball control the clock as opposed to airing it out well CU's strength this season has never been throwing the ball even when they were going well uh, they they managed to get 200 yards at altitude if CU can grind the ball against that weak run defense and keep the ball away from the UW offense, that's a formula to keep it close, if not to win. What I worry about with CU's defense is the injuries and our seeming inability to cover anybody in the second half of the UCLA game. So the game may hinge on how well UW throws the ball against our defense. Well, Brad, I mean, the, you know, the buff defense has played well against inexperienced quarterbacks and played poorly against experienced quarterbacks. That seems to be the, the common thread. And we've got an inexperienced quarterback in Dylan Morris. I mean, he's 
been the starter for, well, they only played, what, five games last year. So he's got a full season in. He's still technically a freshman, but he's a sophomore in terms of number of games he's played, but he has not lit up the world with 12 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. So is he the, the threat or can Colorado run the ball against the lousy Washington defense and control the clock, control the game? What's the strategy here? Obviously, we have to run the ball better. We have to run it more like we did against Oregon State. We have to run it more like we did in the first half against UCLA. That doesn't mean we can't take shots downfield. That doesn't mean we can't try some stuff that take advantage of play action. No, we have to, this feels like a game we kind of have to at least be in it on terms of times of possession. If Landman comes back, if the defense is a little healthier, if we can get some pressure on this guy, who yet again, we're facing another quarterback who's not great under pressure, then, you know, again, it looks like the defense may be slightly better than it looked last week. That was the formula against Oregon State, was just be good enough on defense at the times you needed to be to to get by. And I would hope that that will be the same effort that they'll make this trip. Okay. So, Neil, let's talk a little bit about predictions for the game. According to Vegas, 42 under over, about a seven-point spread. So, if it all plays out according to form, it'd be about a 24-17 Washington victory. How do you see the senior day, 1 o'clock kickoff, of course, Pac-12 Networks, the home of the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, how do you see it playing out in Colorado's home finale? Well, I'm going to give two answers because economists do that. On one hand, if CU can establish its running game early and make Washington walk up the safety to help with run support, then to be consistent, we have with what I said earlier, that's where CU gets creative with its passing game and is able to throw when they want to throw, then I think CU wins the game, and I'm going to go 27-19 buffs. On the other hand, if CU is unable to run the ball, control the clock, and go Air Force a little bit on UW's defense, then I'm afraid that UW is going to be able to exploit the weaknesses on our defense and they'll win by a similar score, like 26-18, 26-17. Okay, so it sounds to me, Brad, like Neil wants to have his cake and eat it too, going on <laughs> both sides of the, the ledger here. So it seems to me that you know it's going to be a game of early momentum, that both teams played well early, fell apart late last week, and whichever team tastes some success early, might have some motivation to keep it going. The team that falls behind by two scores early might start looking at the clock and might start thinking about what they're going to do on Saturday night. Probably not as good a crowd. This is not quite Thanksgiving weekend, but University of Colorado lets students take off Thanksgiving week nowadays, mm-hmm. which wasn't the way it was back in the old days. Well, but, we walked uphill both ways to class in the snow. <laughs> in the snow, yes. But 
That being the case, a lot of students, which again, shout out to the student section for their involvement this year. They have been a pleasant surprise this season. Uh, there won't be as many students there. That a lot of them are going to bail on Friday before Thanksgiving and start heading home. So even though Colorado is not a good team and doesn't have a good record, the student section has been showing up anyway. But there might not be as many students at this game simply because of the calendar. How do you see the game playing out Saturday afternoon? I don't think weather is really going to be a factor. No, it seems like it. You know, it's not going to be snowing. It's not going to be blowing. It should be good football weather, decent crowd. What's going to happen? Uh, what are we? Are we going to be happy at four thirty on Saturday afternoon? Well, first of all, Neil, I suggest you look up the old joke about the Economist, where the punchline is: assume we have a can opener. <laughs> <laughs> I am oddly optimistic about this game. I think you're right. I think if CU comes out and can move the ball early, it feels like such it feels like the kind of close game that momentum will matter. Maybe a turnover or two. CU's not good at forcing turnovers, but has been relatively good at not giving them up. A turnover or two, that kind of thing. If this feels like a four, five, six point game. And for some reason, I think the buffs are more resilient, are just flat-out tougher at home. Um, They believe they can win at home. And based on that, I think it's a little lower scoring affair than that. I'd I'd look at about 24-20 CU. Okay. Um, A victory for the seniors. I think the Nate Landman probably is good for three points all by himself. Just Mm -hmm. (laughs) not only his 12 tackles he's going to get, but just having him on the field. We've seen that. We saw what happened at the end of last season when he wasn't in the lineup. We've seen, to a certain extent, what's happened last three games without him in the lineup. And now that other linebackers have gotten injured, how, as you mentioned, shallow depth Colorado has, even with the transfers coming in and things like that, that Colorado's been exposed, and that's going to show up on, on film. But hopefully Nate Landman will break out of his cage and convince the coaches that he can play. I can't imagine him coming out on the field for senior day, not in uniform, unless he is physically unable to and being restrained by medical personnel. So, Neil, last home game, I'm going to let you uh, give us some words of wisdom from downtown Denver. Anything positive to pass along to the populace? Oh, I'm going to just stay with the magic of Folsom Field. I think Brad's on to something is that CU actually, there's something about that place that inspires them to play hard, to give everything they've got, and to really play above their heads on occasion. That's what it's going to take. But, you know, it's senior day. There's going to be the Buffalo Heart Award announced. Those are always good reasons just to come to the game and see those things. Those are big deals for Colorado football. So. I think coming to Folsom on a beautiful day where CU has a chance to win and there's all the other pageantry and, and such that goes along with senior day, that sounds like a formula for a lot of fun. Okay, Brad, any uh, positive words of wisdom to pass along that uh, 
The seniors will be honored before the game, so everyone should show up early for the kickoff to salute the seniors. And we'll see if some of the juniors that are graduating also get honored, but it's mostly going to be the handful of seniors we're going to be sending off. You're going to be there enjoying the sunshine and rooting for the home team. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it up this weekend or not. There's a lot going on, but. Oh, I forgot the birthday week. I mean, right. No. Yes. The, <laughs> the Brad Geiger birthday celebration yeah. is yeah. Uh, not, not a day. It's a, it's a week. No, but it is a Friday night the night before. So, and I don't recover the way I used to. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, it is the kind of thing that if you get a chance, you should go up and enjoy. You don't always get good weather in November and you'll get it here. These seniors, like a lot of seniors at CU, have been through some weird times. More good than some classes behind them, but also some strange bad. Um, and they've battled through. And I, they deserve the honors that they're going to get. So I hope that they get the game that they deserve. Very good. Well, fingers crossed. Well, we'll let that be the last word. And thank you, gentlemen, as always. And we'll talk to you again next Monday night. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Happy birthday week. Thank you, Neil. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Your time and attention are much appreciated. We will have two more Tuesday morning podcasts to wind up the regular season. We will then take a week off before reassembling for a podcast on signing day in mid-December to discuss CU's recruiting class of 2022. We will then be back with you every other week or so during the off-season with some bonus podcasts as situations merit. So, if you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to the podcasts so you won't miss any new podcasts as they become available. Here's hoping the Buffs will finish the season with a third straight home win and some momentum to carry into the 2022 season. So, until next time, be well. Stay safe and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.